1: and their essential love of justice.
2: Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for August twenty 2021. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Katherine Smith.
3: Greetings from Atlanta.
1: And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right,
2: um, exciting show lined up today Hearing about 20 minutes, Uh, we're going to welcome on to the show for the first time, John Grinvalds. And uh, John uh, came to our attention. He wrote an article for the Omaha World Herald about the brain drain facing the Cornhusker State. And so we're going to talk to John about that. But we're also going to use that as a chance to talk about um, politics in Nebraska in general. Um, He also – we're going to find out his bio, and it sounds like he's got some other uh, interesting political aspects to his life, and we'll cover all that in about 20 minutes into the show. But until then, some really interesting um, stories happened in Georgia um, that are pretty politically relevant. Now, we know that Georgia has been one of the states along with – and particularly Arizona that has trended and shifted – at the presidential and at the Senate level, from Republican to Democratic. Now, um, questions were asked, how long would that last in the short term after upwards of 100,000 people have been removed from the voting rolls again? Because I think actually projecting a number a little higher, but it was still 100,000 people, which is not insignificant in elections that are um, within – you know, two or three percentage points. But um, a, a finding just came out this past week that, due to people being able to register to vote when they receive or renew their driver's license, and that's very important in that new residents to Georgia, if they stay friendly the time, they're going to have to get a Georgia driver's license. They are offered the chance to register to vote. And people have been taking advantage of that um, opportunity to the point where, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it said of eligible Georgians, about 95% of them are now registered. I was just blown away by that number almost to the point where I sort of – I didn't question it like, oh, that's got to be false, but like, man, I want to know more. I want to know about the methodology because that is an, its house,
1: you know. Astoundingly high
2: number Um, Catherine what did you think When you saw that
3: Well I was um, Surprised by it and uh, Pleased I always believe um, Perhaps falsely That the more uh, People who are registered And vote The better we are Uh, I think uh, It bodes well for democracy However the big question is You know I mean, it's great that all these people are registered to vote, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go to the polls. So uh, that, while these numbers are, you know, fantastic and it's encouraging that people are taking that step to be registered to vote, now we have to be sure that they're aware of um, when the elections are, where their polling places are, their various options for voting, whether it's um by mail or early voting or on election day so it's it's um certainly a great um place to be but we it doesn't mean that the work is done
2: as always yes and um i I do agree and about little d democrat that I, i believe that if the more people vote the more you get the true will of the people even if i don't agree with that if the the will of the people is followed. That is a good thing because that's what democracy stands for. Um, Tim, uh, you said you saw the same report, Catherine and I did. What were some of your initial
1: thoughts? Well, that's remarkable that that uh, that ninety five percent. That's one of the uh, nation's highest registration figures. Um, y'all remember when? Bill Clinton, when he was first running, used to tout quote motor voter laws, register people to vote when you get your driver's license, and people used to just laugh and haw haw and ah, oh, that's just the gimmick of campaign. To, I guess he was right, wasn't he? And and you know it does make perfect sense. Everybody that has a car in the state, is going to have to go and get a driver's license or get a driver's license renewed. Uh, Practically everyone is. And while they're there, hey, would you like to register to vote? And you know what? I think most people are just automatically going to say, well, yeah, yeah. If it's that easy, I'll go ahead. Of course, that does not answer the question of, How will the new uh, voter suppression laws that have been passed affect these people? Catherine was right. It's one thing for them to be registered, but it's quite another thing to get them to the polls. If you make it hard for these people to vote after – The ease with which they registered to vote, how committed are they going to be to actually going and voting? That's going to be the hard part is getting these folks to the polls.
2: Yeah, and I will tell you one hopeful thing about this is if you had 95% voter registration and it had nothing to do with a photo ID and you had photo ID laws, I'd be like, yeah, but people are going to you know, not have that photo ID necessarily, and it's going to be an issue. But if you've gotten a driver's license, and that, that's what's boosted the rates, that means that a lot of these new residents to Georgia, um, younger voters, they're going to um, have that photo ID automatically through having a driver's license. So that roadblock the Republicans have pushed in is not going to be as big a factor as we fear they hope. Um and one one interesting thing that makes me think well how is it really that high so of course you have older voters that might you know be out of voting age um that'll be a factor but then also younger voters or I'm sorry not younger voters younger drivers you get a, a um a license at 15 as a learner's permit you go back and renew it at 16 and take the driver's test then that that license typically lasts until you're 21 because they want to renew it when you know, someone gets a legal drinking age because the license goes from vertical to horizontal at that point. So therefore, you become a voter at 18. I'm surprised that the fact of those licensed at 16, don't have to renew to 21, I figure some of that, those numbers would, um, those folks would bring that number down because they wouldn't go in that renewal period. But, you know, that's still just three years of possible voters. But that, I would just, thought that was an interesting
1: mathematical uh,
2: piece of this. Now, let me get into a question. Now, do either of y'all know, was this put in during Brad Raffensperger's uh, time as Secretary of State or as uh, Brian Kemp's time as Secretary of State? Oh, I don't know. Now, obviously, you mean the motor like, voter? Had to, well, the, the, the Georgia version of motor voter. I mean, um, obviously these numbers are new, so I don't think it was back when you know Kathy Cox or Lewis Massey were Secretary of State. It seems like it's a new phenomenon. Um, you know, who's who's going to get the blame well, on the Republican side here for getting all these folks registered? A lot of which is more likely to be uh, Democratic leaning than the Georgia voter that's been around for um, thirty years.
1: Yeah. Well, no idea. I don't mean, know. I
3: don't
2: know, I, yeah, I don't know
1: that. I don't know either. I don't. Know. Yeah, but but I know this: the 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 registration. Uh, you know, when you get your driver's license, that's all fine and good. But I still get back to actual voting, and these new laws. I mean, no excuse absentee voting. Uh, that helps Democrats. Drop boxes and plenty of them, that helps Democrats. Uh, Early voting helps Democrats. If those things are suppressed or narrowed in any way, which they are in this law, these new laws, that's not going to help Democrats. It's still going to be hard, harder, to get people to go vote than it was That i think that's now, their whole point
2: but but i'll say this if if you're if you're dealing with a universe that is automatically smaller cuz fewer people are registered and fewer people are registered without a photo id you you've taken you, you've won a lot of the game at that point this this was not good news um I think for a lot of Republicans finding this out I mean it should have been good news For people saying hey let's let people have access To the polls Um, Let's just follow the will of the people Whichever way it takes us Um, But I I just
1: uh, It it
2: just is Interesting information and I think You know it can and probably will Be used against Brad Raffensperger uh, You know again Somebody like a Jody Heiss may say Hey look he's getting all these Democrats Registered all these new voters we don't want them we want electric we we can win which is kind of crazy cuz typically a uh, secretary of state if the registration numbers go up this high during their term they get credit it's something that they can use to help them uh look better um but i, I don't think that'll be the case for a Brad brother. do you agree or disagree Catherine?
3: um well i'd like to find out when that
1: when that went into effect, or when it, when 19, it was passed. But, uh, 1993.
2: So it wasn't a Max Um Well, then, how come it took this long to be so effective? Because, because,
1: because, because, effect. because one person in particular, Stacey Abrams, pushed yep. that program. She pushed it heavily. Um, I okay. recall reading an article two or three years ago about her pushing that particular thing heavily. When you go to get your driver's license, you're not registered. Vote, vote, or you know, register, register, register. So yeah. groups like hers have been really pushing that. Yeah. So then the question, yeah. So of I don't any, think I, I don't know, think
3: Raffensperger. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I, would, I, would be shocked if I was shocked. I, well, I don't think he's going
1: to get any grief for it. Well, I don't think he's going to
3: get any grief for it. It's just, it's just going to be, um, you know, the Republicans whining about, you know, all these, you know, you know what they'll say, all these illegal voters, well, and I, blah, 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 like they always say. And I'm,
2: i have got a driver's license. You got to have a birth certificate, and, you know, three I'm proofs right. of address and everything else to get the first time I, you get a Georgia driver's
1: license. I'm you a it. It, aren't y'all, like yeah, well, aren't y'all a little surprised they didn't do something about that particular law do away with that it was or something mind. they certainly have that the was, votes do to do it. it
2: do they try do they try to get rid of it,
1: and then what will the pushback be
2: if they try to get rid of it? Kim, what do you think
1: well, i i I don't know, I don't think people would uh, like that very much consider now that almost all of them are registered to vote. And besides, I don't it, – it, you know, at this point, wouldn't have any effect, at least for the next election. I mean, these yeah. people are all registered now, you know, so. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, Catherine, do you, I mean, do you think the Republicans are trying to make a move on it, or is that chip sales? No. I mean, I suppose
3: – I suppose it depends on who – you know, how vocal, if people get really vocal about it, but I can't imagine that uh, it would go over very well because I think a lot of people take advantage of, uh, you know, service or feature or whatever. So I I think it would make, I mean, they already look really obvious about restricting access to the, to the, to voting. So I think another thing like, like this would just further their, uh obvious you know, seeking restrictions. So uh, but I, you know I can't think the way they think,
2: thankfully. Yeah. Well let's uh let's move on to another Georgia topic that's um not, not it's about elections. That's about the way it's related. Um David
3: you're breaking up a Tony little bit Fabrizio, Just FYI.
2: Tony Fabrizio, the um pollster for Donald Trump and, and I guess it's paid for by you know, whatever is left of the Trump political organization. I'm not sure what the name of it is these days. Um, he uh, – they commissioned a poll for Rezio, and I guess he's got some other partners. They polled on the Georgia governor's race, and it was just on the Republican side. I think they also polled on the Senate side, but the findings weren't nearly as interesting. Um, basically – Uh, Right off, it shows, even when you list some names, including former Senator David Perdue, that Brian Kemp is under 50 percent. Now, Perdue and Jones uh, split the majority of what's left, um, and both are in the teens. But then when when it's called informed choice and people, I guess they start saying, well, this is how Brian Kemp did Donald Trump wrong, that um, in particular, David Perdue – Jumps up and actually leads um, Brian Kemp. Uh, Tim, what were some of your thoughts on the findings?
1: Well, I'm not surprised by anything I read, but I swear it's a classic push poll. They're trying to get Purdue in the race, and that's why they framed the, the second part of the question. Well, who do you support uh, if Donald Trump endorses David Purdue? Well. Duh. You know, when Trump has a 93 percent approval rating among the people that are being questioned, of course that's going to affect the result of the thing. And, uh, you you know, so I, I wasn't surprised to say that. And they did the same thing over on the Republican side that, you know, if, if Trump endorses Herschel Walker, you know Walker, you know walks to the nomination essentially. So it, it, it's a push poll by the Trump organization to try to get Purdue in the race and to try to get Herschel Walker in the race.
2: Yeah, I mean, and Herschel did better than um, David Purdue did before the informed, uh, you know, choice, if you will. Well, Catherine, if you're Vernon Jones and you see this poll and you find out that you know Donald Trump's pollster is pushing David Perdue, who's not even announced, how do you feel?
3: Uh, who knows how Vernon Jones feels? Vernon Jones feels. Um, but you know, like like David said, it's a push pull, and and. Uh, Obviously, they're trying to get Purdue to run. Um, But don't you think a lot of it also has to do with name recognition? Um, You know, the name Purdue is very recognizable in Georgia. Um, And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Vernon Jones did something crazy now, like spoke out against David Purdue or, you know, who knows what. But – let the Republicans keep you uh, their
2: yeah. young. That's fine with me. Something else crazy. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. um, he already went to Wellstar and 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 helped the anti masking crowd uh, protest Wellstar uh, recently. I mean, that was crazy enough. Um, well, well, let's uh, okay. So now they've done this, Paul. What does that do to David Perdue? Does he decide to jump in the governor's race? He's already said he won't. You know, seek. Uh, a return to the Senate against Raphael Warnock. Uh, Catherine, what do you think?
3: I suppose it's possible. I mean, people could – I think it would take some pressure from some, uh, you know, you know, whether it's Trump or, you know, other Georgia Republicans to get him to run because I don't think he's really crazy about running. Um, but – you know he could he could do it for the you know for the better of the party or some line like that,
2: yeah, um Tim same question does this cause David mm-hmm. Purdue to get in the race i i i,
1: I think Purdue is more of a rock real Republican, and I just don't know how he would feel about challenging an incumbent governor in his own party, who I'm sure he's on very friendly terms with and all that. And I know that in politics there are really no friends when it comes to seeking political office. But I'm just not sure that this is up Purdue's, uh alley. I, I, I'm not sure he, he would even want to do that. I'm not sure it would pass the smell test for Purdue. And let's be honest, I haven't heard Donald Trump yet say he's endorsing Purdue for anything. Uh, and uh, even without Trump's blessing, Kemp does have a 69% approval rating. He has the power of the incumbency. I think it would be a pretty pretty tough race, and I don't know if Purdue is, is frankly up for it. And as for Jones. He's desperate for one thing: Trump's endorsement. I mean, he sees the sixty-nine percent approval rating for Kemp, and he sees that he's twenty-two points behind Kemp. And the only thing he's got left now is to get Trump's endorsement. If he doesn't get that, yeah. then he's he's toast, essentially. But I, I'm 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 a little dubious about, uh, a little skeptical about uh, Purdue running, David. Well, well, I have Maybe a lot Tim. of thoughts on it, but I'm going to leave
2: Georgia first, and we're going to talk a little Nebraska politics. And then on the other side, I may give uh, my thoughts on this poll. But right now, I'd like to welcome into the Kudzu Vine for the first time, John Grinswald. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, absolutely. Yes, well, we're excited to have you. Uh, your recent article in the Omaha World-Herald Um uh, you, just knowing about Nebraska politics, and then I think you've got some other political, um, you know, uh, you know, other political background as well to share with us. So right off the bat, John, just kind of tell us uh, about your biography.
0: Yeah, so I am from a, a small town in Nebraska called Uintan, Nebraska, about twelve hundred people. I grew up there, went to school, went to elementary school there, middle school, high school. Uh, And then I'm I'm 22 right now. I just graduated from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln with a degree in journalism with minors in history, political science, and English. Um, And right now I'm going to be this semester taking a grad-level class in creative nonfiction writing, and I hope to, I'm going to take probably a, a couple of gap years here, try to get some experience in the field, and then go to grad school for creative nonfiction writing.
2: Excellent. Well, um, speaking of writing, but this was a nonfiction, uh, you wrote that article kind of, I guess, at uh, some point in, um, I want to say July, it was published in the Omaha uh, World Herald, which I'm supposing is the largest paper in the state, about um, how a lot of younger educated voters, and maybe not just educated voters, but younger, um, younger people are leaving Nebraska. Tell us kind of some background on that article.
0: Yeah, well, of what I know of the stats, it appears that 2,000 college students are are educated, people who are highly educated, young people, leave the state every year. And as I was, you know, wrapping up my college education, I was thinking and talking to a lot of people about, you know, where they want to go next, what they want to do, where they want to be, where they want to end up and I kept hearing this almost eternal refrain of anywhere but here, anywhere but here. And this article was an attempt to kind of get to the bottom, think through what are some of the reasons why young people might not want to stay here. Uh, and so I wanted to, you know, get to the roots of, of how reactionary politics that, that is oppositional to the values of young people, how that can affect the experience of young people of a state. They have, you know, so many day-to-day struggles already. And, of course, young people today are worse off than young people of yore. And that's going to continue to – that's a trend that will continue moving forward. And so they're already suffering these indignities but they're suffering those indignities with a backdrop of an incredibly reactionary political infrastructure in the state of Nebraska with political fig- figures like Rick, Ricketts, our governor who routinely makes national headlines, embarrasses the state, and makes our state look like the lottery from the Mary Shelley short story.
2: Yeah. Well, um, well, let me, uh, ask you, um, You know, because a lot of places across the country are experiencing this same brain drain phenomenon, maybe not as a whole state, but within their um, less populated areas to their more populated areas. Um, I've actually been one time to the city of Omaha, to your state, and thought Omaha was a lovely city. I mean, it's not a major league sports town type large city, but it does have, uh, you know, a wonderful zoo, um it seemed to have like yeah. a, a really interesting um you know downtown um dining kind of district um it had uh you know the 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 makings of a place where people might that are younger that want a little bit of a city life would go to and obviously college towns also do well and you have a you know a big university in Nebraska there in Lincoln. is this mm-hmm. can Omaha and Lincoln not survive this same fate, or are those two places also suffering brain drain? Well, I think
0: they're probably suffering it to a lesser extent, of course. And I think a lot of – there is a lot of, you know, growth in terms of jobs for young people in those areas. So it's certainly pulling in some people, and it's certainly counteracting the brain drain that is especially – Exacerbated in really rural areas, but even still, it's it, the the state the state politics overall, I think, suffer from a ossified conservative um, political ideology that really does it pushes young people out. And there are other reasons, of course, for brain drain. And Pete Ricketts, our governor, is not the sole source of brain drain, nor is the the Republican Party in Nebraska. But I think they create a culture that repels young people, Uh, a culture like where, I mean, Pete Ricketts, he campaigned after the legislature, they ended the death penalty in the state of Nebraska, which was amazing to see the state of Nebraska ending the, the death penalty. Pete Ricketts vetoed it. The state legislature overturned that veto. And then Pete Ricketts helped to bankroll an effort to put the death penalty on a referendum, a statewide referendum, which happened in the 2016 election and the death penalty got brought back. He personally bankrolled it. He put $200,000 on the table to get this initiative going. So when you see that, when you see a governor who I mean, the death penalty for a lot of young people, it's, I mean, it, it's something from this mythic past, that there are people being put to death by the state is an incredibly wrong thing. And people feel that. People feel that in their bones, even if they don't really, if they're not thinking about it all the time, is something that sits with people. It's a shadow that passes over them and that stays over them. And that, those kinds of things, his, his anti LGBTQIA plus agenda. Those sorts of things repel young people, even in Lincoln, and Omaha.
2: Yes. Well, um, now I mean Pete Ricketts. I've heard of him because I'm you know uh, follow politics pretty closely, but I would think the average American would outside of Nebraska be like Pete who? But one person in Nebraska that a lot of people have heard of is Warren Buffett, and he probably has a lot of sway. Um, not politically directly, just but because he's such a, a known figure on the country, and I'm sure in you know Omaha and other parts of Nebraska, he is um, has even more influence. Um, and I know he's probably more progressive than Pete Ricketts. Let's just say. Um, he, he went into a the brain drain issue, and then b the issue of how you know the cause of possibly over conservatism might be in the state.
0: Uh, my, my phone broke up for a moment there. I'm sorry. Could you ask that the last part of that question
1: again? And it could
2: have been me. Um, but but talking about, has Warren Buffett weighed into, um, the you know, how, the brain drain in Nebraska and possibly how overly conservative, um, you know, Pete Ricketts and other leaders might be?
0: You know, I don't actually know the answer to that. I, I don't know if Warren Buffett has weighed in on this particular issue. Uh, I know that Warren Buffett, he he is a, a Democrat, or at least he said as much, um, but he, I don't necessarily think he gets into the weeds of Nebraska politics as much. Um, and I'm sure that his, how he would envision a brighter future for Nebraska is just getting more jobs and creating more jobs, which is, that is real. That is a real economic necessity in the state of Nebraska to bring in young people. You need, you know, challenging jobs challenging and high paying jobs that meet the educational attainment of those students and give them a challenge. But I think that I don't think he has said anything that goes deeper that goes to, you know, actually changing um the the really conservative reactionary culture
2: in the state. Yes. One final question I had for now, and then we'll pass it to Tim and Catherine for more questions, is um, talking about the uh, profile of your state, uh, moderate to conservative, what have you, is my understanding is that the state as a whole leans Republican, but Omaha is more Democratic. But then that western district that encompasses probably the most land in, in western Nebraska is the most conservative Electoral vote district, if you will, um, in America. Uh, what is are people in that part of Nebraska happy uh, with how things are going? The people in that
0: part of ne- Nebraska, in the the western part. I mean, I I don't know. I I am not from western Nebraska, so I I can't speak to the young people there exactly. But I know that, that there are a lot of people there some people who I got an earful from writing my article who are very satisfied with how the system works and are very happy that this is how it works, that they would like to see young people like me leave the States because they want more conservative people. They want people who will uphold conservative values and put conservatism first in their priorities. But, again, I can't speak to the young people in those areas. I, I haven't met too many people. I haven't met many people from western Nebraska.
2: Yeah. Well, I guess because there's not that many people um, in that part of the state because I've seen the <laughs> math, and that is a whole lot of real estate to make up that um, congressional district. Well, I'm going to pass it
1: on to Tim and Catherine for some more questions about Nebraska politics. Tim? Good evening, sir, and thank you for being with us tonight. Um, you know, in, in your lifetime, um, there have been some very popular statewide Democrats in Nebraska, like Ben Nelson, who served, I believe he was governor when you were born, and, and he served two terms in the U.S. Senate, uh, or, or like Bob Kerry, uh, a military hero who, you know, uh, was also a very popular statewide politician, governor in that state. And then suddenly, perhaps a decade ago, people like Kerry, who ran for Ben Nelson's seat, lost to a practically unknown opponent by 16 points. And since that time, statewide Democrats and presidential candidates have lost that state Routinely by 30 points So my question is Why has Nebraska In recent years Shifted so far To the right
0: That's a great question I think that well, one To put context in this The Nebraska Democrats Were never exactly on the progressive End of the Democratic Party So even the Democrats mm-hmm. That are people like Ben Nelson, Bob Kerry I don't think they would necessarily be meeting what I, they would not be meeting out the um, solutions that I would want to see to address the brain drain problem. But mm-hmm. I think that there's certainly something there, right? Where Democrats actually do have standing in the state, that there is a serious, a, a serious amount of people who are interested in voting V on their ballots and how that shifts to, complete red, Republican. And, and there have been, I mean, at a congressional level, there have been a couple of, of close calls with Kara Eastman running against Don Bacon in the past two mm-hmm. elections. That has been relatively close. Overall, I think that Nebraska is shifting that way because I think that our demographics are changing. I think the Re- Republican Party is getting... Uh, more is, is leaning more right. And so mm-hmm. what happened I think before with Nebraska is Republicans could vote for a Bob Kerry or Ben Nelson mm-hmm. because they're very centrist or even right-leaning Democrats, frankly. When the party continues to tip to the right, any Democrat is a socialist, and you can't let socialism take over America. So mm-hmm. there's they, a knee-jerk reaction seeing blue or seeing a D on your ballot and a a kind of poisoning of politics that goes from the top on down to congressional races, to, you know, even mayoral races, there are towns being split apart by politics in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And that it's responding to broader trends in, in the radicalization of the Republican party, Mm -hmm. which has happened.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Now, a lot of our listeners don't know the, shall I say, the lay of the land in your state. Obviously, Omaha and Lincoln are the two largest cities in your state. Both of them are Democratic areas. Obviously, Lincoln is because it's a college town. But for our listeners, could you explain What makes the city of Omaha such a strong democratic-leaning area?
0: Uh, I think that Omaha, I mean, historically, it's kind of the center for diversity in Nebraska, where Mm -hmm. most African Americans living in the state live in North Omaha um, and have been Uh segregated historically Uh in those cities in North Omaha, and that is a huge Uh A boon for the Democratic Party in the area. There's many Hispanic uh, immigrants who've moved into the city and moved into the area um, in places like South Omaha. And I mean, of course, there's a lot of suburbs in Omaha, mm-hmm. and suburbs have been have been kind of oscillating between liberal and Republican or li- liberal and conservative for a while now. Um, and as mm-hmm. this last election shown, many of them, many of the suburbs did go for Biden, did go for at least at a national level, the Democratic mm-hmm. Party. So I think those factors together where it is the seat of diversity in the state, that uh, it, it's more welcoming and uh, inclusive of communities, of communities of color and communities, uh, LGBTQIA plus communities. Much more Mm -hmm. welcoming, you know, across Nebraska.
1: Yeah, uh, now now you mentioned changing demographics. I know that in Georgia, we've talked about it a lot on this show, the city of Atlanta and its suburbs are increasingly dominating the statewide vote uh, in Georgia. Do you foresee that happening in Nebraska where the demographics have changed so much in the Omaha area that there's simply going to be enough Democratic votes in that area to win a statewide race?
0: I think that's possible. I think that um, Omaha could expand to that level. I don't know if it's going to happen in the near Uh, I think that Honestly, uh, there's probably in, in terms of national trends in the next several decades, there will be a lot uh-huh. of people moving to Nebraska because Nebraska mm-hmm. sits on an incredibly vital resource, liquid gold water. The Ogallala Aquifer mm-hmm. is the largest fresh water supply in the United States. and Oh, wow. When there comes, when there, there comes time that, that with climate change, where uh-huh. there is, There are more droughts. There are water shortages, especially in places like California, in coastal areas. There are coastal floods. Nebraska will be Mm -hmm. a very nice place because it has fresh water as long as we can maintain it. And Mm -hmm. we'll a lot of land, as as we pointed out in this conversation, the uh, third congressional district has a lot of territory, a lot of land to settle. And of course, Omaha could expand further. But you'll see an, an influx, I think, sociologically of people from the coast Mm -hmm. moving, especially as land with water looks more appetizing.
1: Well, well, that's very interesting. I thank you for explaining that, and I'm going to pass it to Catherine now. Catherine?
3: Thanks so much for being on with us tonight. This is a very interesting conversation. Um, I was just wondering – I have a couple questions. First of all, how – how, uh, how do you anticipate fixing these problems? Do you see, you know, sort of expansion of, you know, I know that a lot of uh, a lot of studies and uh, commentary say that cities need to expand their cultural and entertainment um, footprint in order to attract younger and more um, diverse communities. Do you think that's one step that could, uh, you know, like adding museums, having more theatrical and music musical venues and things like that, and, and sports, um, do you think that's something that uh, Nebraska could embrace
0: in order yeah, to I attract
3: think- those people?
0: Certainly. But I think that is a bow. That is would be on top of a uh, something that isn 't pleasant still there is a, a problem a deep deep problem with Nebraska and the thing is, is and this your question brings up a really you know it's a great question I think that oftentimes the people i 'm talking to and around my column that I wrote for the Omaha world herald there's a lot of bleakness and pessimism when it comes to the future of nebraska people who there are many people who wrote to me saying after i rewrote this saying you know get out while you still can and like you know in it, it, supporting me but saying like it's terrible here it's never going to get better now it's possible that it won't ever get better but is a habit it's something that you have to cultivate continually i think mm-hmm. that Nebraska does have a deep history and a deep well of collective action and of serious material, um, a, a serious uh, material change and, and a push toward material change, where you have the populist party emerging from the Midwest and very strong in Nebraska. William Jennings Bryan uh, is a Nebraskan who you know runs in I think 1896 with the Democratic ticket. Um, there is a – after the Homestead Act, when there was a lot of people moving to the um, to Nebraska area where it, when it was a frontier, there were all these people who had this common bond to the land, and they weren't exceptionally rich, right? They just had 160 acres and a mule, and they sought to, to change what was around them to better their economics and material interests. And so you saw this outpouring. And the, the Populist Party, of course, wasn't perfect. It had its fair share of racism, xenophobia, anti-Semitism. But there was a serious addressing of material concerns. What you see with Nebraska, what's happened, and as many Midwestern states over time, is an ossifying of the political culture, I think because there is a greater um, hierarchy in our economic structure where you had a bunch of independent farmers with 160 acres and a mule. And when the Dust Bowl comes, that knocks a lot of people out. When high-tech farming comes, that knocks a lot of people out because people need a lot of capital to get those machines, to get the high-tech machines that they need to be competitive in the farming industry. And, of course, with globalism, uh, with with the global economic system, with farmers competing against all sorts of other countries – that knocks out several others. So you actually have these farming aristocracies. If you go to really any small town, you won't find dozens and dozens of farming families. You'll find a couple or maybe a few, a handful of farming families that control all of the miles and miles of farmland around them, these little empires that they carved out. I think that that has been a huge reason for the ossification. That hierarchy that has cut a lot of people out and has made it aristocratic has made it more conservative and reactionary. And I think the way that you address that can be through museums and, you know, expanding tourism and attractions to cultural places that young people can go to. But I also think it needs to address the hierarchies in our state. I think it needs to address the material concerns of people. It needs to address raises in in things like the minimum wage, which Nebraska does have a higher minimum wage than the United States, but it should increase still. We need to start seeing these reforms made that shows young people that the state values them, not just for what they can put out, not just for their output for their labor, but as human beings, that they won't execute them, that they will provide these social safety nets for people when they're down on their luck, they can still be provided for. That, I think, going that in that direction I think more broadly will address the concerns that are facing this state and that are exacerbating the problem of brain drain.
1: Mm.
3: Okay, I, uh, that sounds really good. Um, and I applaud those those uh goals, but how do you reach them without um in a state that's already you know conservative and uh losing these young people i i mean i'm just i'm just yeah, wondering I what it's 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 a really difficult problem because to try to attract um you know corporate headquarters and you know make make a state look attractive to corporations that's what we did in Georgia hasn't always been successful um but it doesn't sound like you want to do that because then you're just sort of um exacerbating the problem uh yeah, but I you might be think- attracting younger people go ahead i'm sorry go
0: ahead sure yeah i don't think that mere aesthetics can change the course of history here. I don't think that merely giving people cultural, tossing them cultural bones can do it. And I think to do it, it's very difficult, and I don't really have all the answers to this. This is something that I have thought of long and hard about, but it's not exactly crystal clear. But I think what history shows us is that long, steady organizing is required for something like this. Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of people in the state who are politically voiceless, or politically toothless, who don't have a leg to stand on, who they're totally disengaged from the system because the system has failed them in many ways. The the descendants of the farmers who failed, whose farms failed in the Dust Bowl and with high-tech farming, that we need to reach out to, to those people, to apolitical people, and to people who feel voiceless, and to people who have a voice but maybe haven't decided it all yet, and start organizing around principles that will provide for their material interest, that will expand their rights, that will expand their livelihoods, that helps them live from the day to day. And I think that's a pretty popular message. It, you know, gets it obviously would get lampooned and lambasted by the reactionary figures in our state. But that doesn't mean that that doesn't foreclose the possibility. And I think the only serious way to really address the hierarchical problems in the state and the really rigid conservatism that is that is both cultural and economic needs to come from long and serious organizing, from young people, old people, multi generational, multi ethnic, multiracial. And And it has to at least, you know, start in the population centers of Omaha and Lincoln. And there are many organizations like this already that are, that are doing amazing things, but it needs to continue. And it needs to, uh, it needs to have priorities that, that puts, you know, that has a a kind of a, a message for people that could be attractive to people in rural communities, because I've talked to so many, I come from a rural town. There are so many people who they, they are culturally Republican. Their parents were Republicans, so they're Republicans. And they have these social values and they're very socially conservative. But if you talk to them, they share a lot of these qualms. And they can be moved when it comes to social policies and social problems if you can put them on a boat that's going to take them somewhere better than where they're at right now. And so I think that There needs to be bold steps in the state of Nebraska, in in Nebraska's Democratic politicians, in independent politicians, and in young, old, all sorts of organizers.
3: Well, I agree with you 100%. I'm all about organizing, and I applaud you for, uh, you know, bringing these really important matters
2: to the forefront.
3: And with that, I'm going to pass it back to David. Thanks a lot.
2: Yes. Well, John, I did have one question I want to ask you. Um, Your state, Nebraska, is the only one in the country that has a unicameral state legislature. Additionally, um, my understanding is that unicameral legislature, they call them senators when you're elected to there, um, that it is nonpartisan. But yet I've seen some of the senators then have a – uh, Republican or um, Democratic uh, designation after their name, um, kind of give us the insight on is it a partisan or nonpartisan body and then the, the partisan politics still come to play even if it is nonpartisan?
0: Yeah, so the unicameral is officially not – like it doesn't recognize party affiliation officially, but yes, absolutely party politics do play a role uh, in it, and it's championed by, party politics are championed by members of our unicameral, um, and that it, it does, in fact, drive a wedge in the unicameral, despite it not officially, of course, being uh, recognized. Mm. It is very prominent, and it, uh, it, it, cert- it certainly is similar to what a lot of other states experience it's it's kind of one of those you know nebraska niceties of this isn't really this is nonpartisan and this is you know we all get along but in reality it has a seething party infrastructure in it that is boiling over with partisanship and polarization
1: yes
2: well we'll kind of follow up and i know you're just 22 but it sounds like you've studied the past has it become increasingly partisan in the last few cycles, or has the partisanship always been there in the 90s and 80s and, and beyond?
0: Yeah, I I don't exactly – I can't answer it with total certainty. Uh, I haven't been as close of a student as I perhaps should have of the Nebraska unicameral for the last couple of decades, but I would say – going along with the trend of what we've talked about before with there being a, you could at a state level have Democrats elected before and now that no longer being the case, uh, them being trounced in almost every election, every statewide election, certainly. I think that that is also experienced in the unicameral. And there there have been a slate of recent people who've been elected in the last 10 years who've been elected in some cases with the help and the assistance of Pete Ricketts who are these Ricketts sycophants they are just utterly you know ensconced in this ideology of cultural conservatism and insult members of the unicameral uh, they referring to them um, as a I, there, there's one story where a uh, one bisexual senator was referred to as uh, one of the senators, one of the Republican-leaning senators said, "I don't know what you are," something along those lines. When when they were um, having a back and forth, where there's they're actually insulting their humanity and their dignity, and you've seen a recent slate of this because that's allowed. That's what voters have. Lean toward, and that's also what Pete Ricketts has been supporting and has been driving uh, with all of the money, the millions and millions of dollars that he have he has to bankroll various elections and various initiatives in the state of Nebraska. So certainly,
2: it has gotten worse. I, from my perspective. Yes. Okay. Well, that kind of an interesting thing. My understanding was, as a lot of the time when the unicameral was started, it was to kind of. Streamline things Be less partisan Be more productive And and it sounds like that that Original intent back in I want to say the 30s um, the, the 1930s Since we're probably getting close to the 2030s Is lost um, Its way a bit Well John this has been quite informative On Nebraska politics um, Enjoyed having you on And in case something happens in Nebraska We might want to get you back on again but before you leave our listeners, um, share with them, like, how they could read um, or connect with you on social media.
0: Yeah, I am fairly active on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is John underscore Grinvolbs. That's probably the best way to connect with me. Um, I'm, I post I do most of my political engagement and my future writing, my future nonfiction writing will probably, I will probably be posting that there. So if you want to give me a follow, that would be much appreciated.
2: Sure. Well, John, we want to thank you for coming on the Kudzu Vine tonight and um, keep up the good work in Nebraska.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was great.
2: Thank you, sir.
1: Yes.
2: All right. John Grinvalds. Thank you. Um, Nebraska, that article, if you hadn't looked up, if you put in, like, Nebraska Brain Drain, Omaha Daily World Brain Drain, and then name, um, it'll probably come up. It's a really interesting read. And ironically, when I was looking at it, I noticed that um, apparently 20 years later, uh, a a woman that was a recent college graduate at that time wrote a very similar article. Um, So this is a problem that um, has been, I guess, long identified um, in Nebraska. Well, you know, I promised before we had John on, I would get my thoughts on this poem that, um, that the Trump organization is commissioned. I'll tell you, um, I think, Tim, I think you're right. I don't know that uh, David Perdue um, would want to take out Brian Kemp, although I will say from my understanding that Brian Kemp is just not that popular in the Republican uh, primary. If it's just him and Vernon Jones, he probably has a better-than-not chance uh, of winning the nomination again. Um, But if somebody that is seen as a plausible alternative runs against him like David Perdue, I think David Perdue beats him. I think this poll, even though Republicans seem like they're very hard to poll these days, since so many of them hang up on pollsters, won't answer the calls, that I'm – Fabrizio, since he was just looking at Republicans, he probably could get a decent sample. And if David Perdue wants it, he could take Brian Kemp out. And I think that would be a better outcome for Republicans because I think so many Republicans are upset. And I don't mean millions, but I mean, you know, tens of thousands are upset with Brian Kemp to the point they may not vote for him. They won't vote for the Democratic nominee, but they won't vote for him in the general election and that could be a difference maker. Whereas if, if David Perdue or someone like that um were the nominee, they would get the votes. Trump would campaign for them, not and he possibly might even campaign against um Kemp in the general. Um you know, maybe kind of backhandedly getting message out there. I don't think he's gonna come Question. to a rally for the The Democratic candidate, but that's how important I think this poll is, Tim.
1: Question: I I want to ask you a question, is we know how Donald Trump is. Is the poll uh, the the whole purpose of this commission poll for Donald Trump to let the governor know I can sink you any time I want to? Is that the whole point of this?
2: I think that's a lot of it. I mean, a report came out, and I sent y'all that too before this poll came out, that if Donald Trump had five elections, maybe even three elections, to influence in twenty twenty two, you know, defeating Brian Kemp would be one of those. Brian uh-huh. Kemp is at the top of his hit list. Um, yeah. You know, I think he's above Doug Ducey, and I've heard Doug Ducey, the Arizona governor's, on it too. Um, And so, therefore, Mm. they're trying to, and I think Fabrizio, I I bet Fabrizio, if we look, Purdue is probably a Fabrizio client, and Fabrizio probably knows Vernon Jones, a lot of baggage there. That's just not a plausible scenario, and so
1: let's see if we can
2: find a better, you know, not Kemp alternative, not Vernon Jones alternative to Kemp. Um, so I think um this is very important to look at and, and honestly, um best case scenario for Democrats I think is for no one to really get in, Vernon Jones to get a you know, a decent share of the vote, I just don't think Vernon Jones, even with what's it, uh, Candace Taylor, I, I don't think she could get enough of the vote to enforce a runoff. But even if Brian Kemp gets, say, between fifty and sixty and other candidates not named Brian Kemp get around forty percent that's gonna hurt him, and then go into the general um where um some of these uh some of these hardcore Trump supporters hold it against Brian Kemp and then just don't vote for him um Catherine, uh, your thoughts on any of that
3: i you know I think so much is so hard to know without knowing who our Democratic candidate going to be. Um, I, and I think, you know, it's hard for the Republicans as well, I would imagine. Um, but I tend to agree that uh, Vernon against uh, Kemp without any other, you know, big names. You know, Kemp, Kemp prevails, maybe, maybe narrowly, but he prevails once you if you get Purdue in there, then I think you're looking at a runoff likely uh, so yeah. i I think you know we have a lot there's a lot of time ahead, but it's going to be an interesting um it's going to be an interesting few months before until we get our democratic candidate and have a better handle on what it's going to look like in the general before we can really predict what's going to happen in the primary.
2: Yes, I tell you what, I just kind of relish this thought. These these people that are all into white identity politics, these uh, proud boys and three percenters, and um, you know that that straight out Ku Klux Klan guy that um, uh, Kelly Leffler and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene know so well. When the um, two top races in Georgia are um, Raphael Warnock versus Herschel Walker. And Vernon Jones versus Stacey Abrams, those people will flip their lids, and it will just be hysterically funny mm-hmm. because they're so close-minded. I don't think that actually is going to happen. Um, all of those names, but but it is a plausible scenario, and a scenario that, that those um, you know racists deserve. Um, well, uh, great to have John on. To, uh, next week we're going to have uh, for the second time from Los Angeles. Steve Singler, um, he's going to come on and talk us talk to us about the uh, California recall and other politics in California. But until then, Ben the Not everybody,
1: good, good night, night guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution, we're strong and united.